lived in Egypt. Enslaved under a pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Moses is raised up in the midst of this time of slavery and finds himself in a desert for 40 years. And at the age of 80, quite frankly, wanting to be left alone, God shows up. He says, you're my vessel. Go set my people free. He says, you got the wrong guy. Anybody feel like God has the wrong guy sometimes? You got the wrong guy. God says, you got this backwards. So with a strong hand, 10 times God shows his majesty. Some of it the Israelites went through. Some of it they got to stand back and watch. And they stand back and watch the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. He says, I chose you. I will be your God, you will be my people. They head out into the desert. They experience him at the mountain. And they're headed to the land of promise. And they spy it out. And two of them go, oh, it's a good land. 
but ten of them respond in fear. There's giants in that land. God must not have known that. Anybody feel like sometimes God must not have known? And they let their fear overcome their faith. And they lead an entire congregation into 40 years in the wilderness because of fear. 40 years. But another generation comes up who heard about the faithfulness of God and who heard about the fear of the people and said, not us. Not us. And just like they heard about God parting the Red Sea, they see God part the Jordan River. But this time, not till they get in it. And they come to this city called Jericho. Now, here's the thing about what God did. You see, the faithfulness of God was not only to Israel. The faithfulness of God had gone throughout all the land. Those in Jericho knew who the God of Israel was. They said, here comes the Israelites. We know who their God was. He destroyed the greatest army on earth. He did miracles no other God's ever done. And yet they still didn't come to him. And the Israelites do something weird. You ever feel like God wants you to do something weird? They walk around the city. And they're silent. They just walk around the city. And then they do it the next day. And they walk around the city. And they do it the next day. They walk around the city seven times. And then on the seventh day, they walk around the city seven times. And finally, at the end, what do they do? What did we just sing? Shout it out. What does shouting out have to do with defeating an enemy? It has to do with obeying God. It's not because we're shouting down and trying to emotionally overcome. It's because God said to shout and the walls will fall. It's our trust in the faithfulness of God. Now that's something to shout about. Amen? We've been, um, actually before I get into this, um, let me say this. Um, For those that have not heard, uh, Pastor Terry's mom passed away this past week. And, uh, uh, I think it was Wednesday evening, I want to say it was, is that correct? Wednesday evening, and the service will be tomorrow. Uh, It's going to be in the afternoon. It was planned because there's a family coming from out of town, so they could come into town and be able to get home. And uh, So it's going to be in the afternoon tomorrow. Uh, The viewing's at 1.30. The service is at 2.30. It'll be at Brookside. Um, And there's details and information on the website. If you go to our website, you hover over the word events, uh, you'll see some names pop up and you'll see Florence Bratton 
and you can just uh, uh, click on Florence Bratton and there will be all the details right there. So Pastor Terry sends his greetings. He's very appreciative for all those who have sent him notes and are praying for him and the family. And uh, uh, so just ask that we continue to do this as we're lifting each other up. And this is something that many are experiencing right now in our midst. Um, which is kind of interesting, the timing, as the Lord has not left me alone in the book of Second Peter. I have been, just keep coming back to that and coming back to that. I can't, you know, you ever read the Bible and it's like the Lord keeps bringing you back to, a, to a, a text and just won't leave you alone and you're finally going to, okay, what, why am I so hard-headed? I'm not getting what he's trying to show me here. <laughs> I keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And you know what I'm discovering is that if we had one page of the word of God, you could live a lifetime mining what's on that one page. And he's given us this. You can live a lifetime mining what's on that one page and he's given us this. So in 2 Peter... We're, we're teaching on this on Wednesday nights, and I will be pulling, uh, we're going to be going through on Sunday mornings as, I, as, as I'm sharing. I'm going to be going through the eight qualities that the Apostle Peter says, these are qualities, that if we have these qualities in our life, we will know him, we will know his divine power in our life, we will be effective, we will be fruitful, and if we don't have these qualities in our life, he says, you're nearsighted and blind and don't realize what Jesus actually did for you. So he doesn't really give us a whole lot of choice between two options, does he? Like, uh, Peter, you're not really pulling a lot of punches here. And so we're going through these qualities. In fact, I'll read those qualities to you. Um, this is in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 15. It says this, I'm 5 through 15, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, so the first is faith, your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brother, brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who wants to be, who wants to be kept from being ineffective and unfruitful? I mean, he's telling us right here. And he goes on, he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, it's like, um, oh, right hand or left hand? Which, which hand do we want? So um, we'll be going through these. We, we, uh, last time, uh, we began on the subject of faith, talking about faith. Now, we could literally probably spend the whole year talking about faith and, and that, uh, that subject alone. Last time, there are two texts that start off. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Simeon Peter an apostle, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have what? Obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we just read, uh, read again, for verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So if we're going to, if we're going to build on what he has done in us, we have to know what that foundation is. 
And he is saying the foundation of knowing Jesus, the foundation of intimacy with God, the foundation of everything that's in here that he has for us in our life, the foundation for living this life out with everything that he, the promises, the great and precious promises he has is based on the foundation of faith. So how many think faith might be important to know what it means? We talked last time about what it is. In Hebrew, it's, the, the, it's, it's based on the word iman, imunah, faithfulness, trustworthiness, truth. In Greek, it's based on the word pistis, faithfulness that expresses confidence in the faithfulness of God. I like Michael Heiser's definition. It's believing loyalty. Believing loyalty. An interesting feature. I'm going to pass over that. So, um, why... Why faith as a foundation? We talked about this last time. You can't know without faith first. You have to have faith before you know. Now, that seems backwards. It would seem like I would need to know in order to have faith, right? Well, God, the scripture begins where? It begins in the beginning, God. It establishes the fact that he is, that everything was created from him. It establishes the fact that he is good, Everything that we have comes from him. And the Bible continually establishes this fact. When, when we're about to celebrate communion this afternoon, the Israelites, their whole faith was based on that Passover night when the goodness of God passed over those who had come under the blood of the Lamb. They remembered the goodness of God. They remembered these things. Everything, and they trusted in his faithfulness to them. It's number one. Number two... Uh, relationships begin in faith. We talked about this last time. Relationships begin in faith. Listen, how many uh, just plain old just blindly went to the altar with somebody they didn't know? You had faith that this person you were covenanting with would covenant back with you. It starts in this place of faith. You don't, how many of us just randomly walk up to strangers and just open up about everything about our lives? Hey, you know, I don't know you. Let me tell you all my deep, dark, let me knock microphones over. Let me tell you all my deep, dark secrets. That's the, that's the consequence of being Sicilian. Sorry about that. (laughs) Somebody, I, I was, I was, I was actually seated one time and I'm talking and, you know, imagine that I'm using my hands as I'm talking. And they told me, hey, I want you to do something. Keep talking, but just sit on your hands. So I sat on my hands, and I couldn't keep talking. <laughs> I started, and it was like, Phew! they just came out. <laughs> so anyway, that's the Latin part. <laughs> um, relationships begin in faith. And this is why the Bible says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How many know God is good? He's good. You know, you know, I struggled with the message this morning. And I struggled because, by and large, most of us here have been believers for more than a minute. And most of us have heard the fact that we need to have faith to be, that's what it means to be a believer, right? A believer means to have faith. And we've heard these things so many times, it is so easy to grow calloused and hard. 
and not be thinking about, you know, who's, you know, is Brady going to get it win today? Not be thinking about, you know, the chicken wings and the chips. It's so hard. But listen, there isn't anything more real about what we're doing than understanding what it means to have faith. Because let me tell you what happens. What happens is some, at some point in our lives, God becomes real to us. And we step out and we have this experience with him. And all of a sudden, everything is new. We go, oh my goodness, God exists. He's real. He's in my life. Have you heard about Jesus? How many of us have ever been around a new believer? I'm going to put it a different way. How many of us have ever been around a new annoying believer? Everything is real. I remember, I remember the day when all I understood that Jesus was real. I saw him, I experienced him because that's what it means to know him in the biblical sense. It means to experience him. Black, uh, Henry Blackaby wrote a study called Experiencing God. The publishers wanted him to say knowing God. He said, no, I don't want it called knowing God because it's not knowing about him. If you know about him, that's not enough. You have to know him. It has to be an intimate relationship. I'm calling it experiencing him. And, 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 he, and uh, the publishers told him, so the scholars won't like that. He says, I'm not writing it for the scholars. And then what happens is what? Life happens. And life hurts. And it stings. And it bites. And then all these questions start to go through our head. And all of a sudden, that faith that seems so real gets moved from the category of intimacy with him to a checklist over here. Yep, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Looking for it. But can I tell you, the walls around Jericho didn't fall because they checked a box on a list. We don't make a difference in this world. We don't get through this world. We are not fruitful and effective if our faith is a box we checked, if our faith is something on a creed. Listen, creeds are important. We need to have right doctrine. We need to understand correctly. I'm not putting those down. I'm saying this without this is death. It's called the letter without the spirit. If I have the spirit and not the letter, I have not contained myself to walking in obedience. But if I have the letter without the spirit, I am not walking in the power of God. We cannot go through this life and, and demonstrate who Jesus is without the power of God in our lives. And Peter is telling us that begins with faith, a real faith. Not a blind faith, and that's important. Jesus objectively lived on this earth. Jesus objectively died on this cross. There's not one scholar worth his salt, not one believing, unbelieving, atheistic, uh, 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 secular, or, or sacred that will tell you that Jesus didn't die, that actually studies, and that's their field. 
You'll find somebody who'll tell you, but not somebody who has studied the history. Jesus died on that cross. And I tell you, I've read the arguments. I've studied the arguments. No one, no one has come up with any argument that can deny the fact that he rose from the dead. There's people that claim them, but everyone that's ever been brought up, nope, sorry, that doesn't fit the facts. Nope, sorry, that doesn't fit the facts. Why is this important? Listen, let me tell you about a group of church people. Heard that, did you? So, Peter and John, these two guys who were fishermen, they spent three years with Jesus. They, they went through the, this, this roller coaster ride of faith. Just like we do. And it's the same guy who says we get to have the same faith as Peter. They went through this roller coaster ride of faith. And I mean, to the point of their faith being shattered because they saw him dead on the cross. In fact, while he's on the cross right there, you know, Jesus says to John, John, you now get to take care of my mom. You get to take care of her. It's shattered, it's over, to seeing him raised from the dead, to then waiting for what? Waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into their lives. The Holy Spirit came into their lives so powerfully that they're literally just speaking the gospel and people in every, every language, they're like 40 different languages are understanding what they're saying. Do you know that still happens? Do you know that still happens? I, I know a brother, his testimony, you, you, uh, you know the brother I'm talking about. He, was, he, was in, he, was in a youth, he went to a youth meeting, and he's at a youth meeting, and he's Jewish. And his friend invited him to this youth camp, thinking it was just a regular old youth camp. Turns out it's a Christian youth camp, and he's really mad. He's like, my friend, I'm Jewish. Why did he invite me here? And they got praise and worship is going on. And while they're praising and worshiping, he's like, all these people, are, what is this weird languages people are singing in? I've never heard these languages. Then the, the girl standing next to him starts singing in Hebrew. He goes, ha, now that language I know. And so she, he leans over to, to the girl next to him and says, hey, what does your rabbi think about you being here? And she, and she goes, what? She's, your rabbi, what does your rabbi think about you being here? She says, what do you mean my rabbi? She says, you're singing in Hebrew, you got to be Jewish. None of these Christians would be singing in Hebrew. What's your rabbi think about you being here? She looks at him, she goes, is that the language I'm singing in? I heard the brother tell me the testimony himself. It's what the Lord used. So here's Peter and John. They're walking into the temple. They're just, they're all, what are they doing? They are not out looking. Okay, how are we going to, you know, heal? Who are we going to heal today? That's not what they're doing. They're walking into the temple just to worship. Their lives are submitted to worship. They're walking in to worship him, to exalt him. Lord, I'm going to worship you today. We're coming into the temple during the temple service, and we're going to worship you. And as they're walking in, there's a guy who's begging. There's a guy there lame, and he's begging.
And, you know, Peter and, Peter and John, they look at him and they go, um, I don't even think you have anything. Mm. And the Holy Spirit moves on him. And Peter looks at him. He says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any money. But I have something better. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Listen. How many of us are actually open to be used by the power of the Holy Spirit wherever you are every day? Just going about your life. How many times do we walk by and say, well, I don't have any money, I can't do anything. Have you asked God what you can do? Let me put it a different way. Have you asked God what he wants to do? How are we going to make a difference unless our faith is real? How is our faith going to be real unless we're open to hearing from him to do what he says to do? Can I tell you something? Let me tell you something about faith. This is a fact. This is a fact. Are you ready? Every time God speaks, there will be a crisis of faith. This is one of the fundamental principles of experiencing God, Henry Blackaby writes. Every time God speaks, there will be a crisis of faith. What does that mean? Hey, Peter and John, tell them I've got something other than money for them. What? It's a crisis of faith. I'm either going to obey or I'm not. But if we want to know him... We know him when we obey, not after he did it. We don't go, okay, heal him, God, and then I'll tell him I'll pray. This is why it's not about knowledge first. So this guy gets healed. He gets healed. And as you can imagine, this guy's been, he, you know, I mean, everybody knew he was been sitting by the gate forever. He's been sitting there forever. And uh, so everybody knew who he was. And they see him walking around. They go, what happened to you? What happened to you? Next thing you know, Peter and John are in the temple. And there's a whole crowd. There's an entire crowd who are, are standing there. And what are they doing? They're preaching. They have, how many know that that would be a perfect opportunity to share the gospel? Would you like to know who just did that? Can I tell you about the one who just did that? You think that was mercy. Let me tell you what the real mercy is. He'll wash you and cleanse you of all the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, all the messed up things that you're carrying around, the things you're trying to get off, off of your back. He'll wash you and cleanse you. He'll give you a new life. His mercies are new every morning. Can I tell you about that, Jesus? Now, back to the church people. You see, the church people didn't like it. In fact, the church people had him arrested. We got to take a lesson out of this. Because if we go from being this new, annoying believer, where faith is real, and we know God is real, and we want to live for him, to being the wise, mature believer <clears throat> who realizes someday they'll grow up and won't be so new. Something happens. We stop believing. 
Because the church people arrested him. Let me tell you, when we live our faith out, the fact that we live it to some will be the aroma of life. What's that? Can I have that? Tell me more about that. Who is that? But Paul tells us to some it's going to be the aroma of death. They don't want it. And so the church people, they have them arrested. They put them on trial and they are mad. I mean, come on. Listen, who are you? You're a couple of fishermen. You haven't been through our seminary. You haven't learned all of these things. You spent three years with this guy who's dead, right? We, you gotta, you listen, you look, we have no problem that you healed this guy. You can do all the healing you want. That's fine. We're fine with that. But you got to stop talking about Jesus. No more of this Jesus stuff. And they, I mean, they are mad. We're the leaders. If God's going to do something, he's going to do it through us. We're the mature believers. We're the ones that have been around a long time. We're the ones that understand these things. If he's going to do it, it won't be through your annoying self. What bothers me the most about this text is that they had no question. They go back and forth. Go back and read the text. They, 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 they recognize this guy got healed. This guy actually got healed. And they're sitting there going, well, we can't do anything because the guy got healed. And if we try to do something, the people are going to riot. Come on, do you not see the blindness? If somebody actually got healed who's been laying there for 30 years, lame, would you not be asking, how did that happen? Would you not care? Or are you the one? It's like, well, you know, that's just getting in my way. That's not my theology. It's a bit inconvenient. Because if God was going to do it, this is how he would have done it. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith is based on the faithfulness of God. Faith is based on the faithfulness of God. That's what we're trusting here. We're trusting that he is faithful to us. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, he says, When I am faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I can't tell you how many times I have hung my life on that verse. God, I'm not feeling it. God, it's just not there. but I, I put myself in the place of the apostles who looked at Jesus when he said, are y'all going to run too? And they go, we don't have anywhere else to go. You see, because we're all, when you turn from Jesus, you're turning towards something else. Never forget that. If you turn from him, you're turning towards something else. 
So faith is based on the faithfulness of God, but there's a problem with that. The problem with that is though God is faithful, he's not predictable. There's a scene in the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, seven-book series, um, uh, the Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. And the first book is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And there's this character, Mr. Tumnus. And Mr. Tumnus is talking to uh, the, the couple of the children. And he's describing Aslan. Aslan's the lion. It's the Jesus figure of the story. And, he, and he's describing Aslan, and he's saying this, there's this lion, and he's just powerful, and he's, and he's awesome. And the kids are like, he's a lion? He's like, yeah. And they go, is he tame? And Mr. Tumnus's response is this, no. He's not tame. He's good. You see, the reason why we get shaken in our faith is because we're not actually looking for his faithfulness, we're looking for security. That's what fear is based on. All of our fears are based around wanting security. But God, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? What if the government does this? What if this happens? What if that happens? We live a life trying to be secure and not realize the only place you can actually be secure is in Christ. There is no security anywhere else. It's in his faithfulness. But in that faithfulness, sometimes there's going to be, no, not sometimes, there will be trials. There will be trials. There will be difficulties. But can I tell you, if there are no trials and there are no difficulties, what's the whole point of having faith to begin with? If you have faith and you don't have any trials, then it's just academic. That's not real faith. What are you trusting in? What for? One more thing I want to touch on on faith. Where does it come from? Where do we get faith? This is really cool. You know, in our first verse, Simeon Peter, an apostle, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior. Did you reach that? To those who have obtained a faith. It doesn't say to those who are exercising a faith of equal standards. To those who it has been granted, who it has been given. We are now getting to get an understanding of just how faithful God is. The very faith that we have is a gift from him to begin with. 
We can't even come to him. And, and yet we worry about everything in life when he is the one who grants us the faith to begin with. The question is, are we willing to set aside our security and having to know everything in order to embrace his faithfulness in order to gain everything there is for godliness in life? Look at the next verse here. This is 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, Ephesians 2. We've heard this forever. How many of us know this verse? We could say it by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And, but have we kept, caught this part? And this is not your own doing. What is not your own doing? Can I tell you? Scholars can't answer that question. The grammar could tell you it could be the grace or the faith. So my answer is yes. The grace comes from him, the faith comes from him, it all comes from him. But it works in partnership with us. You see, this takes us very back to creation itself. When he created us, we were created in his image. And he said, what? Go have dominion. We were to be co-creators on earth now. We live our lives creating every day, do we not? But how many of us do this for the glory of God submitted to him? Or how many of us do this for security? Do you see the difference? Why do I say that? Because let's read the rest of the verse. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Why? Why? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here's my point. We'll finish up with this. Here's my point. You know, faith is this thing that we trust in his faithfulness in this. I mean, let me make this a different way. Let me put this a different way. The Bible says that we don't go to God first, he comes to us first. You know that? How many know that? The Bible says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It talks about us being enemies of God, Jesus dying for us. We don't go to him first, he comes to us first. So let me give you a very practical way of understanding this. If you're going about your day and all of a sudden you start to have thoughts about God and you're starting to dwell on him and who he is and what's going on in his goodness or any of these scriptures start going through your mind, let me tell you what, that is God speaking to you, desiring to, for you to partner in your thoughts with him so that he could manifest faith in your life. When I learned that, when I understood that, the first time that hit me, I literally I was in the middle of a warehouse and all of a sudden, God, I'm just thinking about the Lord and that thought went through my head and I fell down crying on my knees. Oh my goodness, God is speaking to me right now. It's, it's not some big, see, we want to make it some like big magical thing or God's given us this gift. And so I've got to sit here until I see a present in front of me that I can unwrap and I got to somehow do this great. No, 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 no. He's already speaking to you. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He's already ministering. He's looking for you to cooperate with him in it. It takes a partnership. He wants a relationship. There is intimacy in this. And when that happens, when that happens, he begins to manifest through us. How does that happen? Well, maybe you're at the grocery store and a guy goes walking past you and you see him limping and uh, the person you're with just turns to him and just says, hey, God bless you. And he turns, hey, thank you. 
and um, starts up a short little conversation. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You and actually the person you're with, the two of you. You need to pray for this guy. We don't know this guy from Adam. Hey, can we pray for you? Oh, man, yeah, I'll take prayer. I'll take prayer, all the prayer I can get. Oh, cool. So you're standing out in the middle of the parking lot. You don't know what he needs in his life. You don't know what's going on. Other than if he just told you his hip's messed up. And you start to pray, and God just gives you this prayer. And you're just, you don't, you're just praying. It's just coming out of your mouth, and you're praying for him. And when you're done praying, he looks at you and says, oh, my goodness. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's happening in my life. This is, it's like you just hit everything that's going on right there, bing, bang, boom. I mean, this just happened, like, last week. saw Ryan Valley in the grocery store, and he and I were standing in the parking lot talking, and this guy comes walking by. Next thing you know, we're praying for him. We weren't out looking. We were listening. I'm going to do something here. Um, I'm going to close out with... Uh, This essay, this essay was written by Dale Fincher, and, uh, and what he's done is he's taken snippets, quotes from different authors, some of it's from scripture, uh, some from different missionaries, and he put them all together in kind of a collage. And every time I, I read it, it is so powerful. And so I, I just felt like this is a perfect way to end, to talk about what it means to live out this faith that we have, what it means that when we do the difference it, that that we affect on this world by this, via this. So I'm going to read this as our, as, our, um, as our closing here before we go into communion. It says this. Oh, come on. Hang on. For the called Christian to walk out of God's will is to walk into nowhere. For the called Christian, no Arctic region is too cold. No sword of the Muslims in Sudan is too sharp. No terror in inland China is too fierce. No African desert is too hot. There's no difference between being hungry and being filled of safety or danger, of health or illness, for the word of Christ must get through. They follow in the lineage of many Christian ambassadors, Thomas, Peter, Andrew, Barnabas, John, Mark, Paul. The dear words we feed on day by day in the scriptures were penned and spoken by called believers they were not penned by the naive remember that but rather by those who counted the cost for out of the mission the church was born and out of the mouth of the first missionary the incarnate ambassador of heaven was given the charge was the charge given on the shoreline of galilee Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the charge of Jesus Christ is echoed and re-echoed down through the chamber of time. Who will hear it? Who will follow Christ to the ends of the town? To the ends of their business? To their school? To their home? To the ends of the region? To the orphan? To those in prison? To the poor? to the ends of the nations, supporting those who work well beyond our borders of influence 
to the ends of the earth. Now, it'll be a series of quotes, and I'll, I'll give who made the quote after each one. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. But you keep your head in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That was Paul the Apostle. Worship is the fuel and goal of our mission. It is the goal of our mission because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. John Piper, pastor, author, speaker. The man is no fool, catch this, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, missionary and martyr to the Alka Indians. If I had a thousand lives, I would give them all for the women of of China. Lardy Moon, missionary to China. Many times, Gladys Aylward had talked to the ruler of the province, the highly sophisticated, educated Mandarin. He showed his approval of her by giving her ever more important tasks to do. He seemed pleased when his minions spontaneously began calling her the virtuous one. Once, during the war with the Japanese, he invited her to a banquet attended only by the important local officials. Officials, Gladys was surprised to hear the Mandarin make a long speech of her accomplishments, but his conclusion stunned her. I would like to embrace your faith, he said. If God has called you to China or to any other place and you are sure in your own heart, let nothing deter you. Remember, it is God that called you and it is the same as when he called Moses and Samuel, Gladys Aylward, missionary to China and Taiwan. And shall I not at God's duty call, God, shall I not at God and duty's call fly to the utmost limits of the ball across the wide sea, along the desert, toil, circumnavigate each land and isle in torrid regions, fly to save the lost or brave the rigors of the frost. May I like Brainerd perish in my bloom, a group of Indians weeping around his tomb. May I like Martin lay my head in some lone Persian hut or Turkish shed. May I like Coke be buried in the wave. May I like Howard find a Tartar's grave or perish like Xavier on the beach in some lone cottage out of friendship's reach. I may, but never let my soul repine. Lo, I am with you. Heaven is is in that line. Tropic or pole, mild or burning zone, it is but a step from my celestial home. The church has nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. It is not your business to speak so many times, but to save souls as you can, to bring as many sinners to repentance as you possibly can. John Wesley, missionary and preacher. I didn't sacrifice a thing. David Livingston, missionary to Africa. When God wants to do his great work, he trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough. Then he uses that person. J. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. Anyone who is not prepared to listen to God in the first place has nothing to say to the world. Hans von Balthasar, theologian. So a young British missionary worked among a tribe of people in South Africa whose language he reduced to writing in order to give them the gospel in their own tongue. He completed the first five books of the New Testament by 1917 with his precious manuscript. He took a steamer from England personally to supervise its printing. 
Now, journeying through the Mediterranean Sea, the steamer met a German U-boat, which torpedoed the liner, and not a soul was saved. The manuscript went down with the boat. But it had been rolled in a sack and closed in rubber and placed in a box. And a letter giving to the key to the words of the translation was in the package. And after several weeks, there drifted ashore, along with many other things, was this box. It was sent to London, and not long afterwards, the printing of the last, last page of that manuscript was complete. The book was taken to Africa by a young Oxford student and missionary appointee to that particular tribe. If God has called you, do not spend time looking over your shoulder to see who is following you. Corey Ten Boom, missionary in Dutch underground during World War II. I only hope that he will let me preach to those who have never heard that name, Jesus. What else is there worth in this life? I have heard nothing better, Lord. Send me. Jim Elliott, missionary and martyr to the Alcas. Having brought the, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We give you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet... You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that, we, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered these men to be put outside for a little while while he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. As some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 people rallied to him. He was killed. His followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed and all his followers dispersed. Therefore, in this present situation, I advise you to leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. The speech persuaded them, and they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I don't have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and he became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies, women, received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. They refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced years and floggings while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. 
these were all com commended for their faith. If I have coveted any place on earth but the dust at the foot of the cross, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India. Just about to finish here. The University of Glasgow confers upon David Livingston, the doctor of laws. On such occasions, the recipient of honor is usually subjected to some banter at the hands of the students. But when Livingston rises, bearing upon his person the marks of his struggles and sufferings in darkest Africa, is received with reverential silence. He's gaunt and haggard as a, as a result of long exposure to tropical sun. On nearly 30 occasions, he had been laid low with fevers that steamed from inland swamps and severe illnesses that left their mark. His left arm was crushed by a lion hanging helplessly at his side. And a hush fell upon the great assembly as he announces his resolve to return to the land for which he had already endured so much. But I return, he says, without misgiving and with great gladness. For would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among peoples whose language I didn't understand, whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile? It was this. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. On those words, I stake everything, and they have never failed. Gospel of Matthew says this. All power has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.